0: I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked, dragging themselves through the Negro streets at dawn, looking for an angry fix. Angel-headed hipsters burning for the ancient heavenly connection to the starry dynamo in the machinery of night, who poverty and tatters and hollow-eyed and high sat up smoking in the supernatural darkness of cold water flats floating across the tops of cities, contemplating jazz, who bared their brains to heaven under the L and saw Mohammedan angels staggering on tenement roofs illuminated, who passed through universities with radiant, cool eyes, hallucinating Arkansas and Blake light tragedy among the scholars of war, who were expelled from the academies for crazy and publishing unseen odes on the windows of the skull, who cowered in unshaven rooms in underwear, burning their money in wastebaskets and listening to the terror through the wall, who got busted in their pubic beards, returning through Laredo with a belt of marijuana for New York, who ate fire in paint hotels or drank turpentine in Paradise Alley, death, or purgatory their torsos night after night, with dreams, with drugs, with waking nightmares, alcohol and cock in endless balls.
1: Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Lit to Lens podcast, a safe place for folks who like the movie more than the book. We are recording this on Sunday, August 22nd, 2021. Today we are discussing Howl. With me to talk about the adaptation is the poem reading, jazz listening, and modern day beatnik himself, Mr. Eric. Say hello, Eric.
0: Hello, Will. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. I feel like we've been reading a lot of poetry for for Lit to Lens this year. It's more poetry than I think I've read in 10 years, probably since I was I in college.
1: Me as well. I am not an avid poem reader. Um, so even reading two in the span of a couple months is like overload.
0: Yeah. I actually, at the start of the season, um, when I was in City Lights in San Francisco, got a copy of Lawrence Ferlinghetti's A Coney Island of the Mind. So Ooh. that's three things of poetry I've read this year. That's one more oh. than you. That, that's 50% more. Not so that we're that me- counting. Makes me a little bit or anything more well-read. I guess i'm a little more in tune with the poems i'm more in tune with the beats that's true you are well you are a modern day beatnik i would say thank you i am a big fan of Benzedrine and uh (laughs) just like waking up in random beds with other men so yeah
1: and smoking cigarettes and taking peyote ayahuasca
0: yeah i've always wanted to do peyote um i've never really come across it in my travels so, if, listeners, if you anyone has POd, please uh, go ahead and send that over. <laughs> Make sure you DM us. Yeah, uh, on Instagram. Yeah, or use <laughs> Signal. Actually, that might be a, the the wise way to do this.
1: Yeah, it's a more encrypted. Yeah, you're right. You're right.
0: At to poem. Lens on Signal. Find
1: <laughs> us. <laughs> um, so we before we get into the adaptation and uh, the poem and the film, we have some fast facts for everybody. So the poem is called Howl. Uh, written by Allen Ginsberg and published in San Francisco in 1955-1956, otherwise known as Frisco, or maybe San Fran, if you're from there. Um, but I've heard they don't like it when you say Frisco, which is kind of stupid.
0: But I've heard that too, but you have more experience with the San Francisco life, so you, be- you would know better.
1: I would definitely say Frisco and probably get punched in the face
0: Yeah. by a beatnik. Yeah, like but that. you're not a beatnik, so that, that explains that.
1: Yeah, that's true. And then the movie was released in 2010, Uh, At Sundance in January of that year. Uh, It was written and directed by Rob Epstein and Jeffrey Friedman, who have directed uh, together The Celluloid Closet, The Times of Harvey Milk, and Lovelace. And they are primarily um, documentary filmmakers, but they've made a couple films which are based on real lives, um, or real people's lives. And then the film stars James Franco, David Strathairn, John Hamm, Mary Louise Parker, and Jeff Daniels. Rotten Tomatoes, 63%, and Metacritic, also 63%. Maybe one of the only films in history... Have the same Rotten Tomato score as well as Metacritic score,
0: so relatively
1: good reviews.
0: That's pretty interesting. Usually, you don't see that the double. No, but this is a special and unique film. So, uh, is it special? I don't. i um, I guess we'll. I guess we'll discover that in the the course of this conversation. We'll find out.
1: Um, but Eric, would you mind giving us a quick recap?
0: I will indeed. Howl, um, also known as Howl for Carl Solomon is a 112 line poem written in free verse by the poet Allen ginsburg in the poem the narrator who we take to be ginsburg himself cries or howls against the major sins of america as he sees them in the post-war period capitalism exploitation repression subjugation among others drugs and alcohol sexual acts and references to real events in the poet's life feature Prominently, Will, that is Howell.
1: Lots of big ideas, lots of big themes, in a relatively short literary uh, structure, I guess. Ten ten or so poem pages, if that's what you call them.
0: Yeah, Um, it is short, much shorter than Gawain or Gawain. Mm. um, Yes, Sir Gawain. The kids know him. Um, I think that one of the cool things about this poem is, I think is in some of our reading Ginsburg's talked about how the line structure is meant to um, copy a, a breath someone might take. When you read a line, yeah. it's essentially one breath out. And some of the lines are fairly long. So you do get the sense as you read it of a building exasperation, someone who's, you know, using their breath, getting more tired. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it sort of signifies the state of the beats, state of these people being tired with America and how it's treating its... Um, Beatniks—it's a uh, countercultural mm-hmm. folks, it, the people on the fringes of polite society, looked, if you will. Yeah, who are looked down upon by the elites. Yeah, and he's just—he's howling, man. He's howling.
1: He does howl. So. Yeah. So, before we move on, we have a quick game which some of you may be familiar with. It's called Two Truths, One line One lie, excuse me, not one line. Eric, do you know how to play?
0: I do. Three statements, two true, one. Lie. Um, I actually feel pretty... Uh, Confident? Well-researched well, well uh, researched about this poem, uh, accidentally. So we'll see if you can stump me this time. Uh, I'm pretty sure I can. So,
1: <clears throat> number
0: one. Shig
1: Morale, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, was the only person arrested at the City Lights bookstore for selling how. A peyote... Or, sorry, excuse me. Number two. A peyote-induced trip was served as principal inspiration for the writing of Hal. And then number three, the film Patterson directed by Jim Jarmusch and starring Adam Driver was primarily inspired by the life of Allen Ginsberg.
0: Eric. Okay. So in my research, I came across, um, Shig for this line number one. I know that he was the general manager of City Lights and he was indeed arrested for the selling of Howl. However, uh, also arrested was Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who's the publisher of the City Lights imprint. Was he arrested at the City Lights bookstore, as this line suggests? I don't know. Maybe that's a technicality. We'll come back to that. Um, peyote, we just talked about it, man. I I know. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you hadn't uh, mentioned it. I know. I'm sorry. I stepped on this a little bit. So I, I do know that Peyote, um, a Peyote-induced trip did cause this. I think he saw uh man what was it called like the Walter Raleigh hotel in San Francisco and it looked like a big like dog's head or wolf's head mm-hmm. or whatever and um you know then he started writing poetry
1: mm-hmm.
0: Patterson directed by Jim Jarmusch starring Adam Driver so Allen Ginsberg is from Patterson I think just one t in in that word um Patterson New Jersey based on the first two I'm thinking this is a lie but I, I, I could see how this would be true because I do think, having not seen this movie, that Adam Driver writes poetry while he's a bus driver. Um, nothing about Ginsburg's life I, I, I don't think was in the bus driving um, line of business. I think he was an ad, like a copywriter for an ad company. Um, so similarities there, but I'm going to say that that indeed is the lie. Patterson was not primarily inspired by Adam Ginsburg.
1: As much as it pains me to say this, you are correct.
0: Yes,
1: you are absolutely right. The film, yeah, Patterson was was primarily just um, the insp- inspiration for that film was just the area because I guess it had. It is known for a few different famous poems, not just Allen Ginsberg, who was born there, uh, but was not a bus driver. So,
0: isn't that was um, based on him? William Carlos Williams is maybe yeah, also he's from one Patterson. Of
1: them. Yep. Yeah,
0: um, but yeah, you are absolutely right
1: for the first two. It's, it, was, it was a funny little uh, little tidbit when I was reading that about Shig Morale because I knew it. Lawrence Ferlinghetti was arrested, but I was like, who is this Shig Morale guy? But do you know where Lawrence, Fer- Lawrence Ferlinghetti was at the time of Shig Morale's arresting or arrest? I,
0: I don't. I, I don't. I have an idea, but I, I'll, let you, I'll let you say. He was in Big Sur. Which is going to be our next podcast, I think. Yeah, in it right? in his cabin.
1: Yeah, hanging out with Jack Kerouac.
0: Yeah, doing peyote, <laughs>
1: so, doing peyote. <laughs> I just thought that was a it was too good not to include. Um, these guys so are, are just right?
0: like in their houses with each other all the time. Yeah. Like hang out imagine, with somebody else, you know.
1: Like it, these are such weird people. Very interesting characters. Just hanging out, doing drugs, having sex with each other. It doesn't matter who it is.
0: You think they paid their taxes? Or do you think they are just, like, so off the grid? They're so off the grid. Yeah. They definitely only get paid in cash, if at all. Oh, that's a good point. They have no reportable income. Correct. The IRS is just, like, shaking their fists. Fucking yeah, Kerouac. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna get you. <laughs> I would watch that movie. I would watch that movie, too. You know, it's just... that probably be
1: a good one. It's just, like, <laughs> Based a, on
0: an IRS... A tax collector
1: who takes in matters into his own hands and (laughs) hunts down Jack Kerouac and his
0: team of beatniks. Yeah, you get they they travel into Big Sur and three
1: thousand dollars in federal taxes.
0: Yeah, do we need to send someone out to get you, or do we just? We'll get a we'll get Liam Neeson to star. He says I have a very particular set of skills. I love it. This is a great idea. Someone (laughs) someone should buy this from us. (laughs) Write this down. Um,
1: Before we go ahead and make that film. We're going to take a quick break and we will be back uh, with information and opinions and thoughts on the
0: poem. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us find more fine listeners like you.
1: Hello, hello, hello. We are back. Thank you for that brief word from Eric.
0: You are welcome. Appreciate it. Join me in uh, Big Sur.
1: Yes, Big Sur. We should do a
0: live Little Lens from Big Sur. Someone else we'll pay for it of course but yeah we we'll, have, we'll be in big sir
1: we have plenty of investors chomping on the bit to give us money so we'll yeah. pick the right one get there record it maybe we'll do peyote
0: if if we get enough uh if we get enough likes we'll do peyote yeah it's one of, it'll right. be one of those uh like uh, adrian grenier movies where he just just is like like and engage my content and i will do yeah this thing for you <laughs> which may hurt me.
1: Yeah. Hey, we're not above doing that. We'll do whatever we want or whatever we can to get likes or followers. We actually just eclipsed hundred followers on our Instagram this week. Yeah. So
0: I think if, if you, you were... get to 500, we'll do peyote. That's the, that's the new, that's <laughs> there the rule. <cool>.
1: <laughs> there we go. Once this podcast is released, everybody will just like fucking follow these people to do peyote. Yeah. won't we'll be probably arrested, but that's okay. <laughs> it's for the pod. So Eric, talking about the poem, "How" by Allen Ginsberg. Why adapt something like this into a film? What is the purpose of doing that? What do you think?
0: Well, another episode on on the beats, another classic of American lit. Um, So to answer your question, I'm going to do this in a very roundabout way because I'm both stalling for time and vamping um, as best as I can. But I think... (laughs) Reading this in conjunction with On the Road, I think I'm starting to understand that the beats and I've started to read Naked Lunch, um, which is another book on our syllabus this this season. Mm-hmm. Um, the beats are less storytellers than chronic chroniclers of their own history. Um, and I think today you might just call them like a vibe. I think that's what the kids would would say. The I would say that's accurate. They're just a vibe. Um, and you could really understand why people would have issue or are not like them, because really it's Kerouac and Ginsburg writing about themselves and telling the reading public that the most true thing that any writer can do is write about their own personal experience. Um, the trouble with that though, is none of these are really stories as we might understand like a, a, a film to have a story. You know, it's, it's nice that Neil Cassidy is the Adonis of Denver and that implies story, but there is no story to that. Same with Carl Solomon being in Rockland's mental institution. That implies story, but there's no actual story, um, written out. And I mean, you can see the same thing with Burroughs and Tangier in, in this poem as well. All together, this is a document sort of extolling the exploits of a group of people. Um, but I think in that sense, this is more a a historical text than anything else. It's it's reality TV. It's like this is the Jersey Shore, right? This is not. This is not the the basis of a movie. This is the basis of a, a TV show. Put a camera on Jack Kerouac, or Allen Ginsberg, or Lawrence Ferlinghetti doing peyote. Like that's that's what this is. It's not. It's nothing else. It's just like you know what's cool, me and us. Yeah. And let me give you a little glimpse into like, our lives. Um. Oh, that's a great analogy. It's like
1: the kardashians
0: but like the original yeah by by putting this on in text or on film you're sort of implying its importance Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but there's no i i don't think there's there's no real story here there's no story of like kim kardashian going to the jewelry store and then coming home that's not really i mean that that is like a, a reflection of events but it's not really a story yeah um
1: there's it's not there is no um traditional
0: narrative structure
1: there's no inciting incident there's no climax there's no rising or falling action right there's no it's plot
0: just, yeah it's a series of vignettes like and that might not that might even be too strong a word it's a series of just reflections on his friends and what they do and how that reflects upon like the way america is um that said however i think there is you can't really talk about howell without talking about its obscenity trial and Um, 1957, because that really paved the way for a lot of other works of what might have been previously considered indecent literature to escape into the universe. So it makes a lot of sense to me in looking to adapt a poem like this to consider its actual like real world um, reception, right? Whether that be in the trial or just in the, the public consciousness. So while I think this is sort of a fool's errand to try to decide who the main character is of this poem and create a story around what they want and how they're going to attain it. I think you could more successfully look at this as a way to um, create a movie about like the real life beats and those people. Mm-hmm. It's a way in for that. Not, yeah. not a way in. I don't I think there's a way into this poem as a movie, but I think there is a way into the real world through this poem if that makes sense
1: there. Yeah. There's an avenue to figure out what the hell they're talking about and the, and the truth behind the words that were written. And it's not necessarily in, like you said, like a, a normal story structure.
0: Yeah. I thought it was interesting um, when you mentioned the directors of the film were, have been primarily documentary filmmakers. That's something I want to talk about a bit later, but I think it also makes a lot of sense that they would look at something like this as something they would want to adapt because there's just so much real world significance to it outside of the, the, you know, 112 lines.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, I was not familiar with them previously, but, um, they, they're one of their more, more recent ones. Uh, like I mentioned, was called Lovelace, which I think stars. I made a Seafried. I think Lovelace is, was like a porn star in, whatever it was, the sixties or seventies. Um, which I think is similar in structure to this. Um, Anyway, side note, but getting back to the poem, which parts of the poem were you excited to see adapted? Were you sort of aware of the structure of the movie? Did you have, like, sort of expectations going into it?
0: Um, I did. I, I think I knew that the trial was a key part of this film. That said, I tried as best as I could to commune with, like, the screenplay spirits as access through Benzedrine and peyote trips in my in my uh basement here to try to unlock certain things. I think for me, because there is no plot, there's no narrative, um I was trying to suss out like whether or not Howell would take the off tread route that some of these um like harder to adapt things do, like on the road, for instance, where the the story is essentially the writer gathering the correct amount of experience to then write the thing that becomes, like, the best-selling work or, like, changes the world. It's not necessarily about the work itself and and adapting, like, what's within the poem. It's more about the, like, writer finding the inroads to write the thing that he writes. Mm -hmm. And I think there's it's just, like, a whole... Fucking meta spiral from screenwriters who are writers to say, you know what's cool, writing, and you know what's <laughs> badass is me writing this script right now, because I'm able to do it, through my, amazing life, mm-hmm. where I've met these people and done these things, and you should be jealous, and now I'm going to relate it to you. It's I guess it's it's kind of like a primal way to tell a story where you're just relaying, information, or you're telling your own tale. I think like Gawain is sort of like that, where he, he talks about how he has no tales to tell and his his big want is to have one of those. This is somewhat similar. Like he, he kind of is telling his own story. Um, but I don't know. I feel like in a movie, sometimes it can be a little bit, it's a little bit like old and well-trodden to say, here's me doing, I keep, we keep saying peyote, but here's me like crisscrossing the country, my exploits with Dean, um, and that gave me the the strength and the power and the insight to write on the road. Mm-hmm. Same with Hal. Yeah. There's and there's no plot in Hal, so I think the movie kind of had to be about how do you write Hal. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not exactly that. Like I think there's there's more to. There's more beyond that. It's like the mm-hmm. reception of the work, the reaction to the work, the obscenity trial.
1: Yeah, I mean. Reading it, you certainly c- like can't really adapt it literally i'm mean, I'm sure somebody could take a shot at it, but it would be so out there and so like nonsensical and so probably difficult to understand, even probably difficult to shoot and create something that was literally just a literal translation of these words. yeah, I don't know if that's even possible. I'm sure it is well, I don't but- think nothing really happens,
0: right yeah I think you mentioned that earlier it's just it's it's like snippets it's in of a way. things yeah it's just a list like of... one
1: one line will relate to one aspect of society and another line with the one right after will be a completely different aspect of society and then again and again so so it's, it's like a cultural a sh-
0: critique more than it is like about people doing things right yeah exactly Although there are people doing like people are doing things, people are mentioned, but it's not there's no there's no characters, I don't right. I wouldn't say. Yeah. It's just like reflections on what this moment meant in the grand scheme of America. Right. Well, clearly
1: the poem had um clearly it was controversial, right? There was a trial behind it. And there were lots of people who wanted to defend it. So clearly there's like historical significance for this poem uh being adapted right it's at a time in the 50s where things are changing right the baby boomers are growing up and the war is over and there's nothing left for them to really fight there's no real evil i'm not sure if russia was considered uh, uh, as big of a threat as they were later on at that point but it's kind of just people roaming the united states as they did on the road like jack kerouac and These people probably just trying to find purpose or significance in in their society. Um, And that's a hard thing to make a movie on. Like somebody who has all these internal thoughts and doing these like weird things that don't really make sense in the real world. Um, Not really that that don't make sense, but it's more like they're doing it for their own pleasure. It's not really, there's not really a sole like greater purpose for it. It's like, I'm just going to hang out with my friends, do peyote, and think about the world and society. So, I mean, just that generation and those characters themselves, like, it's hard to... I feel like that would be difficult to make a movie around that. I don't know.
0: Yeah. They're very impulsive. They just kind of act because they feel like it. And that yeah. that doesn't really square away with a movie where there's there's reasons for things. Mm-hmm. A lot of times. Yeah. So
1: I want to ask you: Did you, were you able to sort of understand uh, or grasp the themes that Allen Ginsberg was trying to relay as you were reading the poem? Because I will tell you, it was way over my head. I didn't understand a, th- a thing.
0: Yeah, I think there's a, that moment in the movie where David Strathairn, who's playing the, the, uh, the prosecuting attorney, is just like, honestly. I didn't really know what I was reading, yeah. but I'm here. I'm here uh, prosecuting this anyway because I think it's smut. That was the most it's... relatable scene in the movie. Yeah, I don't know what this is, but I know it's dirty. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> and um, it shouldn't be sold. Yeah, I. I mean, p- parts. Right? Like, I, I think I understood some of the references to like America, especially in that Moloch section, which is part two. We should say that this the poem is broken down into three parts and then Mm -hmm. a um, footnote, I think is what the fourth part is. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy. It's like that Justin Bieber song.
1: It is. Oh, my God. Maybe that Um, was inspiration for Justin Bieber.
0: You know, everything has its antecedent, Will. That's true. Justin Bieber to Allen Ginsberg to uh, Walt Whitman. Do you think he's an avid
1: reader of poems?
0: um, I bet he reads instagram poems like the uh you know little like 60 word things that can fit in a grid yeah i bet that's what he reads okay that's what everyone reads now right i think that's what poetry has become just like instagram (laughs) instagram
1: posts
0: (laughs) yeah there's no more free verse i think it's better honestly it's better now (laughs) (laughs) um wait what did you ask me if i understood it i I, like yep i would say in parts um some of this definitely did go over my head i think the what I really liked about the poem is the language is very different than anything I feel like I've ever read. There's just a lot of personality in his writing and it's, Mm. some of it is, is crazed. Some of it is like very hyper. Some of it is, I don't know. It's, it's full of life, I would Mm. say, but in being full of life, it can also be somewhat inaccessible because it is also very referential. Mm. Like there are moments when he's talking about Neil Cassidy or, lucian carr or jack kerouac or all these other people carl solomon who we maybe don't even know about Mm -hmm. um and in that way i I think in my mind it i sort of like view it as in the movie when james franco um is reading in front of a group of his buddies Mm -hmm. and they're all just like yeah yeah they're getting super hyped for it yeah i sort of like i feel like i'm missing out on that I think we sort of talked about this with On the Road as well, where because we aren't part of that group, I think a little bit of it is missed.
1: Yeah. And I feel like there's not really, that doesn't really happen today. I mean, here in DC, there's busboys and poets and they do have poetry readings every once in a while, but I feel like that's not really a part of the, I guess, the mainstream culture at least, or it's not as accessible nowadays. So it's, it's harder to relate to something like that where, you know... I don't even know, I don't have any, I don't think I have any friends who do poetry readings in front of their friends. You know what I mean? I feel like that's a very small um, sort of cl- closeted uh, section of society that, you know, is hard to relate to nowadays. Maybe it was more prevalent back then, or maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was still just as hard to access.
0: I get the sense that it probably wasn't prevalent, Prevalent, um, just because... Like, no one's going to get it unless you get it. Right. And that closes off your readership somewhat. So, I mean, even today, right, people want to write things that people will read. And I think by narrowing the scope of how people can relate to it or understand it probably doesn't help your audience. So maybe in doing this, this is kind of, like, not brave, but um, it's maybe even foolish to, to narrow the scope of your writing so much that unless you went to Columbia in 1949, like you're, you you do not get it. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, I think it's one thing to have a story where it's like, you know, some guy I went to college with jumped off the Brooklyn bridge. But I think by saying like, Oh yeah, my buddy, Peter jumped off the Brooklyn bridge. You sort of take that story and make it a little bit, less real because it's less universal it happened to a specific person who you don't know mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden like you don't understand the reasons for doing that whereas if it's a if it's a, a fictionalized peter jumping off the brooklyn bridge you, you have a easier time imagining what went into that i don't know mm-hmm. if that makes any sense that's it's sort of where, like where my brain goes when we're talking about the beats because they're very it's just like a I don't know. Like I mentioned, it's just like a historical document. It's just like who these people were at this time, but without the need to give me as a reader, seven years later, any more information about these people than Mm -hmm. is in one line of a 112 line poem.
1: Yeah. I
0: mean, it's hard to sort of
1: conceptualize these people compared to nowadays. I feel like they were in such a unique moment in time. Where there was a lot of people like them. They were probably brushed aside from society. And for whatever reason, them writing in this way spoke to these people. Like, I feel like if that were the case now, there's just, there's just no shot that that would be popular. Uh, but he was, you, Kerouac was incredibly famous back then. You know, yeah. I'm sure Ginsburg was relatively famous as well. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to make of these
0: beatniks. They're just uh, hippies and they deserve to be destroyed.
1: Well, I was looking this up. They're not the same as hippies. There's a
0: difference. Yeah, they're like proto, pre hippies.
1: Yeah, and that hippies are more politically inclined to protest. They're more politically inclined in general. But B are more interested in art and feeling as opposed to political change. So,
0: that's the way yeah. it should be. You know, keep the status quo, just, you know, live your life internally. Absolutely. I think that's healthy. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Live your life in front of your screen. <laughs> that's basically like, what we do now. <laughs> like Steve Jobs intended. Oh my God.
1: Um, and then last question. Did you like reading it?
0: I did. Um, I think part one was my favorite, um, especially compared to parts two, three, and the footnote. Um, I, I, It's all like, despite all my rattling on about like how I thought, being very referential was difficult to access. I kind of preferred that mm-hmm. to any of the other parts here. Um part two is the the Moloch part, which I, I liked as well. Um slightly less so. I I kind of just felt like it was a good hang. And I was imagining being in the audience when um Ginsberg mm-hmm. like first read it. And I thought like, you know what? I would like to be there for that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um that is different than reading it on my uh, Kindle 70 <laughs> years later But I I I was able to imagine myself Like Hype Yeah In the crowd
1: I don't think I would ever Im- Imagine myself Getting that hyped up For a poem But hey Maybe
0: Well It seemed hype In the movie So They, that's were, very to, yeah. they were very hyped Yeah um, Very Um I think The, the language is, is Can be a challenge And you'll hear that In the read-in And you'll hear that A little bit later As I mentioned Maybe a, a line or two Um some of that stuff can be kind of hard to, to read just because mm-hmm. it is so specifically weird. But I, I also kind of liked it. It did feel, I think I mentioned this before, like full of life. And I, you know, compared to things that don't have life, I will take the thing with life in it.
1: Well said. <laughs> I uh, I agree with you. I, I didn't, I would not say that I enjoyed it. I will say that it was interesting because it's not really like anything I'd, I'd ever Read before or read or read, very often, but yeah, there are there are portions where, you know, like I mentioned earlier, that are just way over my head and I'm just like, you know, I'm I'm not gonna spend hours and hours and hours. Figuring out what each line means, days and years even, so kind of you know, it's one of those things I read, I get through it and then I'm like, okay, I don't really understand it, and then you kind of go back to the Wikipedia and be like, okay, this is what this meant, this is what that meant, this is what this meant. Um, but yeah, that's what I would say about it.
0: Do you think you would have enjoyed it more if you had, like, understood all the references? Probably. Yeah, I think honestly, it's it's funny you mention that because,
1: um, I actually have more enjoyment rewatching or rereading something than the first time I did, because you pick up so much more information because you're aware of like where things are going, so you pick up on subtle cues in the story that's leading you to this place that you didn't notice before. Um so I feel like if I had read the wikipedia and read the references page before this I would have been like oh yeah that's what that is and then I can sort of piece it all together but I'll have to read it again to do that
0: I mean it's pretty quick I I read it I read it like a month or two ago and then I read it again after watching the movie last night um I think you get a little bit more out of it yeah but also it is very the 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 way it's written is, uh, is very peculiar, very specific. Yeah. You, and I know you don't like obscenity, so you probably had a problem with all the... Uh, yeah, I the, was... The language, Will. I know, I was praying to God
1: for my sins. Or I was confessing my sins for reading that to my yeah. Lord and Savior
0: earlier. You, so. you did a couple Hail Marys. Yeah,
1: so now I feel cleansed. All I'll right. do have to do another one after this podcast, though,
0: for sure. Do you like this uh, more than you liked On the Road? Um... Yeah, I would say so,
1: just because it was, it was more interesting to read it, like trying to figure out the structure and um, why there were so many whos and holies and molochs. And, you know, that was more interesting to me than reading a, uh, a book that was, like you said, like a, a documentation of events, not really a story. I think there's a reason, there's a reason stories are told a certain way. And they're enjoyable and they make sense. But I feel like with On the Road, it was just sort of like, I don't know. I just couldn't I couldn't relate to it. I couldn't get into it. And we'll figure out later on with Big Sur and Naked Lunch, it's probably going to be the same thing. <laughs> but, no, I, I enjoyed this more than On the Road, I think. Because it was shorter as well.
0: That helps. Yeah. Can there knock it go. out in po- half an hour. Poetry coming to the fore on the Little Lens podcast. Absolutely. Mom
1: Moloch. and then uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to talk about the adaptation. We'll be right back. Do you have an idea for an episode? Tell us what it is. Tweet at us. Find us on Instagram. Follow us for updates and general musings at Lit2Lens. Hello, 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 and welcome back. Thank you from that brief word from myself. We are going to get into the newest segment here at Lit2Lens called Eric Learn to Something. The general gist is, Eric is going to, learn you something and you learn it and then that's it you can have it for the rest of your life so
0: you're welcome yeah i think mean, that's that's a good a good explanation of it yeah you are coming so. to us for knowledge and we are providing you that knowledge
1: we should charge fees honestly
0: that's the the second level of the little ends five dollars a month yeah, we're still on level one yeah <laughs> um so will walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass is referenced twice in 2010's Howl, specifically during a conversation about form. Um, And for good reason. Comparing these two texts side by side shows Ginsburg was clearly influenced by the father of free verse himself, uh, Mr. Whitman. The most obvious similarity is the use of anaphora, or the repetition of a word or phrase at the beginning of successive clauses. In part one of Howl, most every line starts with who and then a verb, in part two, it's Moloch, and in part three, it's I'm with you in Rockland. Primarily poets, singers, and speakers use an for emphasis, uh, to link meaning, or to create rhythm, and as an example from Howell, um, in part two, there's three lines that go, Moloch, whose eyes are a thousand blind windows. Moloch, whose skyscrapers stand in the long streets like endless Jehovah's. Moloch, whose factories dream and croak in the fog. Moloch whose smokestacks and antenna crown the cities. And that is anaphora, Um, not just used by poets, but also, as I mentioned, singers and and speakers um, to drive emphasis um, and create a little bit of rhythm in the writing, Um, especially useful when you just have a long list-like work um, to sort of make it a little bit more accessible for the reader. Are
1: you sure it's not pronounced anaphora?
0: Yes. Are you positive? I am. It's like Sephora. It's the Sephora of words. Oh, gotcha. Anaphora. Okay. So there you go. That's uh, number the, the second time I've learned you something. Look out for more Appreciate of these that. in uh, future episodes.
1: Absolutely. We'll take that with you, listeners. Tell... Um, maybe a lovely lady or lo- or a lovely gentleman at your next party maybe they'll be impressed your
0: next poetry reading
1: uh, exactly so little tidbit for you so now that you all know what it what an anaphora excuse me an anaphora is we're going to move on to the movie so eric how would you describe the adaptation literal loose or reimagined
0: i'm taking my stamp and i'm stamping a big fat reimagined on on this one here um do you have a stamp that says that i should i should get a stamp you should we should yeah um as we mentioned there's not a lot of plot there's not a lot of narrative thrust in the poem and uh to make a movie that is 90 minutes this one i think clocks in a little bit under that maybe like an hour Mm -hmm. 20 you got to fill in a lot and they they certainly do that um primarily through courtroom scenes um showing the obscenity trial that is at the the heart of Howell as a piece of american anaphora um a piece of american culture um so i would i would say this is this is reimagined however there are moments where they do specifically like read the poem um, Mm. but i would say that the poem is not made into a movie and thus the reimagined stamping
1: yes i did yeah this might be one of the more reimagined adaptations that we've done i would say
0: i think that's true um i think most i mean usually the reason why you make a movie out of something is because you can see the story in it and this one um having no story in it you kind of have to fill it in yourself
1: yeah yeah i think like like we mentioned earlier i don't think you could really make a literal
0: adaptation of this or if you did it would be just bonkers would just be a wolf howling at the moon and that would be the movie
1: that, hey, you could direct that. Just do it. So there. with that said, that it's been uh, wildly reimagined. There are obviously lots of differences. So Eric, can you just break us down with the structure of the differences
0: here? Yeah. Um, the movie is told in, I think, four different sort of like timelines, four different segments, um, although they are like overlapping in how they're presented in the movie. Um, obviously, as I mentioned, The biggest part is the obscenity trial, which occurs in 1957. Um, There is also scenes where Allen Ginsberg, as played by James Franco, is being interviewed by an unseen journalist or an interviewer. Um, And I believe that happens while the trial is occurring because Ginsberg is not a part of the trial. Um, There are scenes of Ginsberg writing the poem itself, just like mad, madly. Um, mashing on some uh, typewriter keys mm-hmm. um, there are scenes where Ginsburg is is reading the poem in a in a packed raucous bar and then will there are animated sections where the directors have um, created visualizations of the poem itself um, that that play over Franco's reading of certain sections of of uh, Ginsburg's howl.
1: yes, so. The animation sections certainly threw me off. Um, I was a bit surprised by that. But I guess that's sort of one way to tell the story directly from the words that were written for the poem. Um, To sort of throw it into the movie. But, yeah, I mean, it has four different structures, like you mentioned. Um, Like, do we think this was an effective way of telling the story, having all these different segments thrown into one?
0: Uh I do not. Um and I think we'll we'll talk about we're gonna we're gonna go deeper onto the some of the courtroom stuff in a bit here. But for me, I would have liked to um I think bring some of these together, like tie some of these threads more closely in like the same action. So rather than having Ginsburg talking so when he's being interviewed, he's essentially just talking about the writing of Howell, how he views the meaning of his words, um, just like, you know, being an, a poet or being an author and what the importance or what the um, moral, like, fu- you know, it, the, the moral imperatives inherent in being a poet are. Um, I would have liked to have seen those conversations happen um, with another person rather than just like him looking at the, the you know, camera slash interviewer um i think there it's good information but ultimately like it's just preaching um i think it would be more interesting in a in a movie that is purportedly to be about like obscenity and like the meaning of this poem to have ginsberg himself talk about the meaning of his poem to somebody who might give a damn about the answer rather than just like provide that to the audience um the reading I actually liked quite a bit. I would, I would probably keep that separate. So I would fold in the interview in the courtroom together, but the reading I liked as a separate um, entity, because it shows you the reaction of Howell to certain group of people. And those are obviously like his buddies and close pals. Um, But I think comparing that to the courtroom scenes where Howell's being interrogated as a work of literature, showing this work of literature and how it affects people, I think, is really important. Um, ultimately, you can debate whether or not like a work of literature is obscene or not, but if people are reacting to it and reading it and engaging with it, that's really all that matters. Like in uh-huh. a certain way, the the readers are going to decide what lasts, not a you know some judge or some prosecuting lawyer in some courtroom somewhere. So I think right. showing that is important. Animation, I, I know you this is this is a curious thing because it's really i feel like just sort of a way to shoehorn in the poem um while also giving us like penis trees and <laughs> the head of a wolf like spraying fire and like weird other sexual visualizations from the the axe depicted in the poem i could have i could i could have i could have lost that I don't know that I needed that really
1: I thought it was. I thought it was cool. Like I thought it was well done, the animation, and it certainly gave you some pairing visuals to the text. And I think that is helpful in some contexts, but in this context, just thrown in in the middle of the film, and throughout, it's just sort of distracting. I think it it has no. It's it's just so different from the story that's being told, um, visually as well as. Um, uh, aud- audibly aud- audibly i don't know but um i just thought it would have been a cool like short film like on its own right like uh, you don't need to throw it in here it just it's too different it's too it's too much for it was for me to sort of like believe and i don't know it it just had no real relation to the story it was just um yeah
0: it didn't really know. feel like a part of a movie. It felt like the, like if you were watching the YouTube video of, you know, Ginsburg reading Howell, like you would imagine that's the kind of stuff that would be in the, in the, in the actual video box of what you were listening to. Mm -hmm. Um, I do. What is, I think curious about that is because this movie is about the obscenity trial. Like uh, that's what I'm saying. This movie should be. And kind of is about the obscenity trial. There is this, conflict in that um if you're watching this movie without having read Howell you probably aren't gonna see the obscenity trial in the same way so I'm wondering if like is it necessary to read to us the poem so that we understand the the like what's in it absolutely not or is that like dumbing it down
1: it is it's dumbing it down for sure I I feel like it would have been a better choice to just not have any of the poem reading at all, or maybe just have the poem reading in front of the, in front of his friends or whoever they were in that basement, um, in front of an audience, just because if you sort of maybe just focus on the courtroom scenes and maybe make them better, as we'll get into later and more interesting, um, you sort of spark interest for the poem. By doing that, so maybe people are more inclined to actually read it afterwards. Like, why? Why are there all these obscenity? You know, why is there an obscenity trial for this? It's just a poem. Like, why do people care so much? Maybe that would spark interest in more readership. But sort of regurgitating it to us in a visual format that's probably better suited to YouTube, like you said. You know, it doesn't really make sense to have it here. Now, I do think that having it in uh, the setting in the basement in front of a live audience is important, like you said, it gives us a context as to you know the 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 times you know what people were like, what they liked hearing uh that they were there were these poetry slams or whatever you want to call them these poetry performances uh that people will go to and get you know crazy hyped for you know so this so I do think it's important to show that, and you can't really have that without reading the poem so you know, the animation could go for me, but I do think it's important to have the, the scenes in the basement for the poetry performance.
0: It is funny you mentioned the word regurgitating because I feel like a lot of this movie is just regurgitated, scene over scene. Like, you're, you're, you're definitely right. I mean, the re- in the reading, you get to hear the poem. And in the courtroom, if you're discussing the obscenity or, like, crassness of a work, you're going to have to read part of the work. So it's <laughs> not like you're not going to hear any part of Howell, in this movie if you do it right. Yeah. The fact that you feel the need also kind of like it it's kind of silly that you feel the need to read the poem to the audience. If you're also saying, hey, Howl is like a pretty fucking important piece of American literature. But here I'm going to tell you what's in it. Like, well, no, shouldn't you have read it?
1: Right. right. Like
0: if it's that yeah. important, I might know. And I, I I think it is just it's too much. And it also says a lot about. I don't know, like the laziness of the, the, in the assumed laziness of the audience that they're not going to go and like seek it out. They need to be presented yeah. with the full ass text to have any interest in, in uh, understanding why it might be obscene. Yeah. Plus you're missing, I think one of the things that's missing here is the context of the time. Obviously this movie comes out mm-hmm. in 2010 and our view of what's obscene has changed a lot since 2000 or since 1957 or 1950s, even like 10 years before 2010. Um, So I think probably I would have used more context of like how this was received poorly in that society versus just giving me the text.
1: That's a good point. Like we also don't know, like we assume that society shuns these characters, these beatniks but we don't know that for sure right we we get that they're outsiders and we get that they you know their art is not necessarily uh embraced by everyone you know hence this trial like a literal trial can you imagine a trial for an, a piece of work a piece of art like it's just it it's like nowadays that would never ever happen
0: right well i guess thanks to howell yeah
1: right it just seems ridiculous, but, you know, so you have to overcome that hump. Like there was a trial for a piece of, for a, po- you know, a poem, like it, it makes no sense. Yeah. So you have to provide context, like you said, um, for the audience to sort of understand, okay, so this is, these are the standards in which these, their lives were lived in. Um, and it sort of makes more sense now, or, you know, it makes more sense to the audience in that refrain, but yeah, the courtroom scenes were also baffling for a number of reasons do you want to get into that
0: yeah so i think this movie should just be in the courtroom or with <laughs> with some like interludes with the readings but um as currently like as they exist i think they are uh both like horrible and regurgitative
1: mm-hmm. and
0: unnecessary like I, I, I think there's five courtroom scenes. I think the I think one, I think we only needed one. If this was going to be how the movie wanted to play it, its hand like we only really needed one of these scenes. Um, but I'll take it from the higher level. Essentially, it's the prosecuting attorney, the judge, the defending attorney, and then the lone defendant Lawrence Ferlinghetti in a courtroom with some audience members. Um, mm-hmm. The prosecutor is played by David Strathairn, and. That character is – I guess we should say that part of this movie I think is based on the transcripts of the trial itself or at least like that's what it says at the Mm -hmm. start. So whether it's based on a true story or actually pulled from real transcripts is anyone's research project. Um, Mm -hmm. But David Strathair plays a character who is so dumb – Um, that it's like laughable because, Mm -hmm. you know, history has told us who wins this case. Right. And so we know that he's going to be the loser, but he plays a loser. And at no point do you recognize that anything he's saying is valid. He's, it's just like, he's so unintelligent. He, he can't even like, he doesn't know how to object, you know, one, like there's a moment where he's like, Oh, I object, but I, I, you know, I can't even, I can't even say why I'm objecting. Um right. there's moments where in his closing speech he like can't even get anything out that's yeah. intelligent. Um it's just it I it's silly to me. It like, is you're silly. N- you're not presenting the opposing viewpoint in a way that would create any sort of drama. He's just there to be like the laughable can you believe this is obscene kind yeah. of character.
1: Yeah. I think that's that was his purpose was to sort of represent Traditional old-time thinking, probably, and they probably wrote it in a way that that was certainly it was silly. It was just you know there was a point like you mentioned where he stands to object, and he can't even get the words out. And John Hamm, who's the defense lawyer, is like, "Go ahead, you know, like say we object to whatever," and he's like, "You know what? I probably shouldn't because you know we'll we'll be throwing fists in the in the hallway." And it's like, what's the first of all? What? What are you talking about? Second of all, you probably can't say it. this is a court of law. You'd probably be reprimanded or removed. That's a that's obscene. And then third, where's the context for that? Do they have a history of fighting in the hallway for in a courtroom? Are they bitter rivals that we don't know about? You know, like where is the context of that? You know, it was just things like that.
0: Yeah, I want I I wanted to see like. Okay, there you know, there's there's a line that just says, with dreams, with drugs, with waking nightmares, alcohol and cock and endless balls. Like this is this is what yeah. the read into this episode says. And mm-hmm. I wanna like obviously those are words that are have certain connotations, but like I wanna know why two people get arrested for publishing something like this. Like, are right. you afraid that, you know, a 17-year-old or a 12-year-old is gonna read this and then all of a sudden think, like, oh, I should do Benzedrine, like give me some sort of real life, um, relevancy for that. Like, it's, it just feels like the screenwriter, the people that created this movie knew it was sort of ridiculous, but I, I wanted them to ground it more in like why this actually happened. Yeah. Like, because that's the only way you're going to get any drama out of it.
1: Yeah. And that we were not given any context as to like the sign of the times, the thinking of the times.
0: On the other side is John Hamm, who's the defending attorney, um, and he does something that all great television and, and cinematic lawyers do, which is just um, stand up and say, "I object to that," or like he just looks mm-hmm. very stern while David yep. Straighter is talking, and mm-hmm. it is, it is like such a waste of, of everyone's time for i think his first three scenes he doesn't really do anything the very first witness that goes on the stand played by mary louise parker is only um only answers questions from the prosecuting attorney and then john Hamm is like i don't need to talk to you get off the stand yeah what the fuck like it's it's very odd um the next courtroom scene i think all he does is object once the third scene he'd think i think he just like glares and then uh the fourth scene he actually gets to cross-examine jeff daniels which i think is the the best courtroom scene that exists like literally just give me jeff daniels on the stand have both Mm -hmm. guys cross-examine him um let's just do that but i I think like john Hamm has so little personality and if you read the history like this his lawyer the guy he's playing is a really famous entertainment lawyer and somebody who's written his own books was sort of this larger than life person um and john Hamm just like has nothing to play. And I think it's kind of, I think it's kind of stupid.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, it, you know, it was a, it was a big hit, big swing and a big miss, uh, for the courtroom scenes. And it sucks. It, it, you know, I was, we were speaking uh, offline a bit, a bit before, and it didn't really feel like a courtroom. Although that was the setting, it didn't feel like there were any stakes. It was just sort of like, one person goes up on the stand and gives their opinion on the work, whether it's uh, credible literature or not, and then they step down and they, they argue that point and then they step down. That's not, that's not a place to have that conversation, right? That's not a place to have you know, argument on literature. That should be in a book club. That should be in a uh, English 101 class, whatever. You know, it just seemed ridiculous. It just seemed like... What are the stakes here? That Getty gets arrested? It doesn't really feel like that. It just feels like people are arguing about whether Howell is a piece of art or not. A credible piece of art, I guess. Yeah. Which is a fair argument, right? Which is a fair argument to have about this poem. But to have it in a courtroom just seems ridiculous.
0: I think they maybe do say that the way that the obscenity trial is going to work is that if it's not considered art, if there's no merit to it, then it is just like pornography.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: you I I think let's if we take that as its value then the 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 entire courtroom scenes are basically about like is this art or is it not art. The problem yeah. is that there are four people that go on the stand who answer the exact same questions. Yeah. Is this art? Well, when I think about art, I think about um, style, form, opportunity, mm. and like function, and that yeah. all the people have the exact same conversation. It's like yeah. it's literally the exact same conversations. And really, what you need is one person to have that conversation, whether he's pro or against the like work of Howell. Mm-hmm. We don't need four people telling us the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, so it it was just extremely repetitive. Um, and it, it doesn't deepen our understanding of how at all until we get to Jeff Daniels, who gives us like a bit more than everyone else does. And mm-hmm. that's why I would just have him up there because he seems like somebody who, I don't know, he he was the best. And the other people were, were less because they had less time to do stuff. Um, but whatever they tried to do, I think they were trying to build on, you know these critics and English professors are up there. They tried to like build upon them to when you finally get to Jeff Daniels, he's the one like swinging the real heat. But mm-hmm. if the the first three scenes don't land, so this fourth scene doesn't land, and then when John Hamm gives his closing remarks, it doesn't land because <laughs> we actually really haven't built anything. We've just sort of mm-hmm. like regurgitated the same fucking yeah. tired argument about whether or not this is literature.
1: I feel like there's a good movie in this in this trial. There's a good movie to be made in this, and maybe it's David Fincher who makes it. Or somebody, or Aaron Sorkin, excuse me, who does great like courtroom dramas. There is. I mean, you know, there's got to be.
0: Let me tell you something, Will. This movie should have been called A Few Good Beats, and it should just be oh my God. in the fucking courtroom, and let's blow it out. Let's give, let's, yeah. put, let's put everyone on the stand. And this is the thing I wanted to bring up, is that there's <laughs> just a huge missed opportunity here um yeah. number one Put Kerouac on the stand number one uh in this courtroom is Lawrence Ferlinghetti who is on trial he's the, like literally yeah. he is the one on trial here
1: mm-hmm. it's
0: both him and Shig and Shig is missing so I don't know if that's like a, a bit of whitewashing or narrative it seems that way yeah. um because both these guys got arrested and you know Lawrence Ferlinghetti doesn't say anything so I don't know why you right. couldn't have the other guy up there as well that just seems kind not of, a single word not a single word. Not a single word. He's just sitting there. This is the guy that is on fucking trial. And he doesn't go on the stand. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't whisper anything. He doesn't write a goddamn thing on a piece of paper and slide it to he John just, Hamm and say, like, hey, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Doesn't say he a single lux. fucking thing. And the yeah. whole problem is like, why did he publish Howell? Isn't this isn't this like the conversation that needs to be had?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He's the person that can tell you that it's art because he's the fucking publisher
1: (laughs) this is why i published it
0: yeah like he he's the one that can lay out for you the the pro we don't need an english professor from the university of uh frisco you know what i mean right we just need lawrence ferlinghetti um (laughs) so that's that stuff was weird to me it just it wasn't it wasn't big enough and i think there might be part of this that is because like the trial itself Maybe it was a little bit boring. I don't know. I haven't read the transcripts. I don't know much about it other than the outcome. But mm-hmm. I think if you're, if you're pulling from transcripts, theoretically, you have the whole narrative at your disposal. And to make it so dull seems kind of silly. So let's assume that this trial was dull. That's fine. Let's do like you said. Yes. Let's put Ferlinghetti on the stand. Number yeah. two, there's no Allen Ginsberg in the courtroom. That I guess it didn't happen in real life. But if you're making yeah. a movie, fucking put him in the courtroom. Yeah. It's his work. Is He's not going to be right. able to talk about it. So instead right. you have him talking to some interviewer who we don't see and we don't know what happens to that interview. So it's just there conveniently so that he can get his point across. What's the fucking point? Put him <laughs> in the courtroom and let him talk about it to the prosecuting yeah. attorney.
1: Yeah, I don't know why they wouldn't put him in. I'm sure he was tried on stand. I would oh, he imagine. might not
0: have been. I, that's what I took that to say. Mm.
1: But f- who, guess, can, yeah, who gives a fuck? It wasn't arrested. Yeah, who
0: cares? Yeah. Let's At make the movie. Let's like literally put let's put Ferlinghetti. let's put Kerouac, let's put uh, fucking Neil Cassidy, let's put Peter Olavsky, let's put Ginsburg, yeah. put all those fucking guys on the stand, have them talk about their writing, have them like interrogate the reaction to it from society. And that way you actually build up like what the meaning of the beats is. Right. You can compare it, you know, if you have Ginsburg reading his poem to that crowd with the actual reaction. Mm-hmm. That is real versus like what the prosecuting attorney believes, even though the prosecuting attorney doesn't understand what he's prosecuting. The whole thing is a fucking mess. It's horrible. Like if we're going to yeah. if we're going to make it interesting, I, you know, bring some fancy into it and let's get all these dudes up there to talk about yeah. what we're going to because they already want to talk about it. That's why they put Ginsburg right. with the interviewer. They, they he wants the director or the writer wants to say that stuff. He's just doing it in a way that's dull passion and it felt all what'd you say passion 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 Passion. let's get it if you're gonna talk about peyote like fucking let's let's i don't know i just like i'm tired of these like half-assed adaptations about something that is so lifelike how can you make something so dead about something so alive doesn't
1: make sense. You, we'd have to get the directors on to find out.
0: It doesn't make sense to me. I, it I doesn't, want, yeah. I can tell you're upset. I'm upset. I was watching this last night, and I was like, the problem with this is that it's, it's not enough, and the stuff that they show is, is not good enough. It's, it's, too much, it's too much of not enough. That's the problem. That is the problem.
1: There's many problems, but that's probably the main one. And I, I wanted to ask you, though, what did you think of the interview
0: with... Uh, Allen Ginsberg. I that thought it segment Yeah, I just thought it was misplaced. Yeah. Like I I thought it was I thought it was important. I thought the information was good. I think it I think um he probably believes those things and it's necessary for us to hear from him if we're going to have like conflicting opinions on what's literature and what's smut. But I just like I just think that it was better served to be elsewhere. Yeah because he's not talking to anybody
1: no isn't that so I mean, weird you have a yeah, movie yeah.
0: happening in a courtroom and then you have the fucking writer of the poem talk to the camera about his yeah. like vision for writing it
1: yeah there was an inter- interviewer but we didn't see who it was
0: no he gets a he gets like tea made for him at the very end but yeah. we don't see him we get to see his hand i think
1: which was you know it was a nice hand but
0: Maybe we don't know what happens to that more. interview. Like, does that interview go in Time Magazine? Does it go in Esquire? Yeah, right. Does it go in a newspaper?
1: That's a great point. Yeah. What is the, what is the significance of the interview? He's basically just telling people what the beat says, or it's not. It's not. A, it's not a generation of people. It's guys trying to get published.
0: Yeah, I actually like that quite a bit. Yeah, the good some good quotes, but
1: I feel like it was. They added all these things. I feel like to sort of pay homage to Allen Ginsberg in that way and not have it be about the trial there. I feel like they were trying to make it more about the author and less about the trial. But It's like, you got to pick one, right? You can't just have your cake and eat it too.
0: Yeah, I think so. And there's a great, there's like great movies about, you know, um, like, um, uh for our oscar season last year we did one one night in miami right one Mm -hmm. night in miami is a play about a like meeting that took place we think Mm -hmm. and the content of that play is probably totally fictionalized there's no reason you couldn't do that for the obscenity trial here true nobody's gonna go back
1: and read the manuscripts and say hey this is all inaccurate or they could but who cares
0: yeah, I think the I think the like the problem here is that it tries to be too realistic, you know whether or not Ginsburg was in the trial or not. Let's assume he wasn't. Um, so let's keep him on the sidelines. But you then, but I just think like the problem is when you realize that you need Ginsburg to tell you about writing Howell and its meaning or meaninglessness or whatever, and you put that to the side of. The conversation around obscenity and whether or not like this book like the legal conversation around obscenity and whether or not this book deserves to be printed and know that the stakes are literally like the future of literature in america you're just you're just like you're missing you have like two things that are related that you've separated for reasons of like narrative realism that you by not putting Ferlinghetti on the stand, show that don't even care about. So, with that said, it's
1: was the bullshit. adaptation successful? It's bullshit.
0: Um, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't... I didn't... Yeah. I didn't like it. Well, that's skipping ahead. The, the yeah, That's fine. Was it... A, I'm going to say no. I think yeah. it... I think if you wanted to... Well, now nah, I'm conflicted because I feel like if you, if you come to this movie wanting to know about Howell and its reception and a little bit about its construction, I think you do kind of get that. I don't think you get a lot of it, but I think you get some of it. So I would say it's half successful because you certainly leave the movie knowing about the poem you certainly like get, you know, the words in it and you yeah. get it. You know, some of the main characters cause there's, you know, they talk about Kerouac. They talk about Cassidy. They talk about Peter Orlovsky, who's Ginsburg's partner for, I think most of his life, the rest of his life mm-hmm. once they meet. Um, so there's good background there. I just like, well, we're just, we're sitting Kevin Durant on the bench when he should be in the game. Put him in the game. <laughs> that's all i want that's all i want is he kd well in this metaphor yeah
1: yeah Yeah, i mean i don't think it was successful in the respect that it didn't really um adapt the story of the poem it it you know i know that's not what its purpose was but it didn't do anything for the poem i think i think it certainly had some scenes where It was read aloud and people were excited about it but the importance of the poem or not the importance but the the i guess the what the poem was trying to convey to its audience was not met and was not visualized in film it was a totally completely completely different story told in four different sections that had relations to each other, but was not one cohesive uh, piece of story or narrative. So, yeah, I think, you know, if they, like what you said, if they had stuck with maybe just a courtroom and they'd done that, or maybe they'd thrown in some smaller pieces of the readings instead of having the animation and the interview and all these other things... It would have made it more cohesive instead of being all over the place. It felt like an ADHD movie. It's like bouncing from one thing to another with no real focus. So I would say no.
0: Did you like the movie? No. Not really. Um, Not really at all. I thought it was... I I thought it was dull. I thought it was... Like really repetitive, um I thought it wasn't exciting in any way, despite the fact that there's all this evidence that suggests like these people were crazed and like active and you know maybe fun until the clock strikes midnight um it's just like a I don't know. You know, I have a hot take about it later, but I just, I thought it was kind of like just wanted to relate information to you and Mm -hmm. it had like no business being a movie. It was very, it was, it was like designed to be informative rather than entertaining.
1: Yeah, correct. That's a great way to put it. It was designed to be informative and not entertaining. And that's exactly what it was. Relatively informative. Could have been more informative, but certainly not. Very entertaining. So, Eric, I would like your hot take.
0: My hot take is, is is just, like, furthering that point. This would just be a PBS documentary. It already wants to be a PBS documentary. Like, it already Definitely. has the, the reading played over animation. It are, it has, at the end, Allen Ginsberg singing parts of that poem, I think, or singing something else. Um, mm-hmm. Like, he's, he's shown as an old man. It gives the postscript where it's talking about what happened to Kerouac or Cassidy or Peter Orlovsky or these main... Main people, um, I just I just thought it was I thought it would have been more interesting if we get rid of the actors and we just like fucking relate the facts of the case as they exist. The fact yeah. that you're giving it actors, you're towing a line that I like just like dislike that movies do where they have this story that is just better served as a documentary.
1: Yeah, it did feel, I mean, now that you say that, it, it it does feel like a documentary. So you have a courtroom case, you have an interview, and then you have, like, you know, live footage of people reading the poem. It does feel like a documentary structure.
0: Yeah, it just feels like they fictionalized a bunch of stuff that probably exists as real footage. Right. So... I, again, I'm just like, give me the real footage. I don't care that like James Franco kind of does a like a New Jersey Brooklyn accent. It doesn't like do anything <laughs> for me.
1: It didn't. It didn't do anything for you. No, it did nothing for me. I thought it was okay. It wasn't great. But I but, um, it
0: was just like, if you're gonna have something without life, just like make it a documentary and just make it real. Yeah. Yeah. And then
1: my hot take is, I think there should be more hand throwing in courtrooms
0: so little fisticuffs
1: yeah i mean people are agitated you know
0: sometimes you just need to let out steam so you missed the times when like the u.s senate they would like beat each other with their like canes did that actually happen yeah well like civil war era oh see i would have thrived in that era if i feel like So that's real arguing is my point <laughs> is so good that i will punch you in the face to prove it yeah
1: yeah i feel like that's
0: the fair way to do it
1: um and then movie or poem
0: i'm going poem no surprise to uh people listening to me (laughs) yell for the last 25 minutes but yeah um i i enjoyed i enjoyed this poem much more than i enjoyed this movie so i would recommend the poem same here
1: and it actually takes less time to read the poem than watch the movie so
0: there's plenty of benefits it's true if you're not into
1: poems it's only gonna take you about 30 minutes
0: the movie is short um and it also features james franco who certain you know uh, you know he he creates problems as a as a character in our pop culture these days so if you want to skip it i would skip it
1: i would skip it as well and 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 buy the poem or you can actually get the poem online it's free online i think it's like poem.org or something like that poetry.org poetry.org maybe um check it out just google it how poem and it'll pop right up um and then final thoughts eric
0: from the poem just the language i think it's really specific um even though i don't understand all of it all the time i i like the imagery i like the ideas i i've never read anything like this really so um mm-hmm. that'll stick with me Plus the Moloch.
1: Moloch! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mine, what what I will remember from the poem is who and holy. Because I was like, why are there so many who's at the beginning of this? And then at the end, I was like, why are there so many Molochs? And why are there so many holies? This is weird.
0: We've learned you something. The anaphora. Yes, absolutely. And then the movie? Um, I thought there were a couple of good quotes in here. Like you mentioned this before, there's no beat generation. It's just a bunch of guys trying to get published, um, I think, Ginsburg says that at one point. And then Jeff Daniels, who's a professor, professor of English at San Fran University or, or a university in the Bay area says that mm-hmm. great literature always creates its own form, which I, Ooh. I liked, even if I don't necessarily, uh, agree with it, his whole point is that like how can't be great literature because it essentially borrows its form from, mm-hmm. um, leaves of grass. Right, the Wall Women poem, which means that Justin Bieber can't be a great artist because he uh, borrowed holy from Howell. So maybe the maybe this point does make sense. I
1: don't know. Maybe we should get Justin Bieber on the pod and have him clarify his inspirations for us.
0: I think that's a great idea. I, I think okay. he would do.
1: We'll it. reach out. He would definitely do it. For me, um, just David Strathairn wanting to throw hands with John Hamm. It just seemed it was so out of place that I literally laughed out loud. When I was watching it, it mean, was very so dumb. stupid. So, I love that
0: because he wasn't mad at all in any parts of in any of those previous courtroom scenes. He was very just like mild mannered. There must have been scenes that were cut from the
1: final cut of the film that were just that sort of led up to that, like maybe some more tension between the two or a history of about them. Because it yeah. was just like, what? Yeah, <laughs> you want to fight this guy? <laughs> I'll, fight fight I'll fight you. I'll fight <laughs> you. Um but yeah, that does it from us for this uh episode. Um check out our most recent one on The Green Knight, which just came out a few weeks ago. Um and then keep an eye out for our next episode on Big Sur, and then after that we're gonna do Naked Lunch, and then we'll have a new season for you guys. But um really excited for that. Would you have any shout outs?
0: Just to my man Moloch for um being a, a Canaanite idol to which people sacrifice children. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Keep it up.
1: And then for me, I'm going to shout out my dog, Roxy. Because she's been bothering me this entire episode by wanting me to play with her. So, now I got to go do that.
0: Now you got to go play with your dog. Yes. There are worse ways to end the podcast. That's true. There are worse.
1: Moloch! All right. Can we get another Moloch? uh, What did they call it? What did you call it? Eifert Eifert, Blast? Eifert Blast, yeah. you get a Moloch Blast? Moloch! See you next time.